0: Hello and welcome back to JLXP. Uh, the long-awaited episode with with Emily Rand. Not really, not really that long. I asked her like a week ago, and now she's she's made it. But uh, th- this is a it's very similar to the episodes that I would do back in twenty twenty with Keen back when he was writing the Ten Thoughts series. I think it's a great jumping off point to. Uh, a good conversation. So the 10 Thoughts article, if you don't know, comes out on LOL Esports basically every Thursday. It's been written by Emily for how long now? Almost a year?
1: Uh, yeah, a little over a year because Keen went to work on his now not so secret project, which was writing for players. So he said that publicly so I can see
0: yeah, it. Yeah. That's going to be the uh, new, newish CBS show. Uh, mockumentary about League of Legends that I'm actually really excited for as well, but uh, I'm not going to talk about that yet either. It (laughs) is something I'm looking forward to, but there's so much interesting stuff in week three. Um, My suggestion for the viewers, if you're here right now, if you want to get like maximum out of this episode, pause, go read the 10 Thoughts article. It's usually a pretty quick and fun read, and then we'll dive into some of the other discussions, and we're going to go in order of the team's Also, uh, if you came here for the TSM discussion, that's going to be at the end of the video because they were at the end of the ten thoughts because they are in last place, so they don't get to be first in the video. Uh, But just like the (laughs) article, anyway. uh, Emily, you started off talking about one hundred thieves. Let's let's do that. Was there anything that you want to dive in deeper on, or something that you couldn't quite fit into ten thoughts, and we'll we'll talk about them.
1: So something I've been tracking that I um, thought was really interesting about them going into this season that I've tried to create kind of a through line in 10 Thoughts or at least keep rehitting is the fact that I actually thought of all teams, um, 100 Thieves were uniquely qualified to start well because mm. they had already practiced a lot of pushing bot lanes at Worlds mm-hmm. looked pretty comfortable with them, even with some mistakes they made uh, in maybe not being proactive as much in in some of their games. You know that I thought they could have won, but in general, they already knew how to front to back team fight with like a strong bot lane. They'd experimented with bot lane uh, various bot lanes before in LCS, mm-hmm. and then they'd also done these pushing like Lucian lanes at Worlds. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw the TP changes and the um uh you know what bot lanes were becoming really really strong yep. in uh you know China and South Korea mm-hmm. I was like okay well you know hundred thieves they are going to be a team that really understands how to play it but the only glimpses we saw of that were in Lock-in tournament and mm-hmm. I think some of them were executed really well I think uh I believe it was Dignitas going up against them did a really good job of like countering that mm-hmm. um and then they've gone back to like a front to back team fighting style which i thought was interesting to call out uh, it was also cool to see them get their hands on the senna again because i think they are a team that is uniquely prepared to use senna in a variety of ways mm-hmm. and then i've also been tracking huhi on engage supports versus mage supports
0: and i think huhi's someone who's good at mage supports but especially for players that kind of run the map a little bit like who he does. I think it's just so important for them to play on engaged supports. Something that, uh, there's a couple things that piqued my interest reading the 100 Thieves part. One is the engaged supports, because I think it's similar to Core JJ, And weirdly enough, during one of the off seasons when Core JJ was doing all those in-houses and he was like recruiting his own teams, I like coached the team against core JJ, which is like not really coaching. It was like helping with draft and asking them what they played, and then listening to their comms, but who he was to support on the other team. And I felt like his comms were just so strong, uh, in the way that he leads the team around what he wants to do next. Uh, we ended up winning the set like three, one or something, but his Pantheon game in particular was just like so clear of what he wanted to do. So it makes total sense that even if he's good at range supports and they can win lane, just running the map on something that has authority is not really something that can be replaced or easily ported to another player. So like it might not even be a weakness for him. It's just if the champion can't do it, you can't port that skill to someone else. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I liked was the the Lee Sin play because uh, <laughs> and here's here's another like backstory. I remember like when this happened, and I honestly feel like. It was because ad carries wanted to play lee sin like that's that's the whole reason it was good At, during that week leading up to when uh he played it in lcs uh tactical played a bunch in scrims as well because they actually beat us oh, with really? it in scrims and he was like it's so broken like we have to do it <laughs> and he was a really good lee sin in scrims uh but it just it just didn't port to stage uh anything else you wanted to touch on with hunter thieves
1: that's hilarious. No, oh, I'm just glad I found that. That was about tactical. At that
0: oh, time,
1: uh, Lisa was like leeson. broken, so it's totally fine. Yeah, <laughs> we just see it. I'm sad
0: now. I think the similar thing happens when like Vayne is good. Everyone just needs an excuse mm. to play the fun champion. Like, oh, uh, Ruler plays it, and then next week, like ten LCS AD carries are suddenly Vayne's. Vein okay, uh, Cloud9. General consensus following their first loss was that it could instill confidence. Not less. Mm-hmm. Uh, go into a little bit of depth about that.
1: Yeah. So, this was something that Mark and I touched upon when we were on Hotline League. It's something that I think a general sentiment in the community was mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, not only was it the draft in that game uh, and how they were willing to experiment with a slightly different play style that also made the most of the fact that Fudge is going to know how to play things, you know, that swap easily from top to mid like the aurelia Mm -hmm. um and they nearly won that game despite a lot of mistakes and also blabber just not looking very comfortable on the karthas past Mm -hmm. the, the initial farming stage so i also came out of that thinking okay like this team there's a lot more depth to what they're doing Um, And not that I didn't think they had depth previously, (laughs) but until it's shown to you, you're not necessarily going to make that assumption. So they've been trying out a lot of different champions and that loss uh, was when I was definitely like, okay, this is a top LCS team. What they're doing is quite interesting.
0: I like the stat of 19 unique champions in 20 possible champion slots across their four games. That's a lot (laughs) <laughs> like, um, especially with the way you generally can achieve short-term victories is through shrinking your champion pool, so you're comfortable. Um, question, actually, and this this is this is like a, a far-out take. Um, I wonder if we'll ever see malice in LCS Spring Split.
1: Hmm,
0: because. They they talk about the, like, meritocracy they have or that they want to have about who's playing better in scrims. And, like, just... And this is a very random tangent. I was watching Malice's stream and there was this one Champions queue game where his Karthus was just absolutely disgusting. Like, beyond anything I'd seen him do on Karthus before in the, like, Champions queue game, he was... Like twelve CS per minute. I think he ended the game. Oh, like I think he ended the game fifteen and zero with a twenty five stack medjays and a death cap, and did like five x the damage of everybody else in the game. Just absolutely absurd. And it's it's a stretch, but it was just a thought that kind of crossed crossed my mind of if they really do want to play his like quirky champion pool, and they have a good standing already, like just throw him in there. Do you think that's something that we might have a chance of seeing?
1: I'm going to say no for the time being only Mm -hmm. because, and this kind of touches on something we're going to talk about a lot more in depth later, but when you're trying to develop a roster, since this roster didn't get a lot of synergy together, uh, I would definitely want, and especially since they've been successful, Mm -hmm. I would want to keep them together as a unit as much as possible. Um, Putting aside the whole, like, I, I do know, uh, I watched the video about the Meritocracy thing yeah. and we were kind of talking about it with Sven as well, considering how right. well he played during the lock in tournament. And obviously mm-hmm. Berserker has come in and been And then I just see Berserker be this
0: like so amazing happy. AD carry.
1: It makes me so happy because I watched I know I've said this so many times on broadcast, I watched him previously on a on a not great team. Yeah. So I'm happy that he is able to just absolutely come in pop off. Um, But yeah, uh, I would, I mean, I would definitely keep the five man unit together. I also think, uh, as I say in this, in this paragraph, some of the stuff that Mouse plays, in particular the Hecarim, which we've also seen Mm -hmm. in LPL a lot, um, could be something that Blaber would like easily pick up uh, because he's played it with a ton of success previously. And it's like very much in his, his wheelhouse as well.
0: That's that's gonna be and that's gonna be something I want to track as well, is not only which malice picks does Blabber play, but then does malice play any meta or blabber picks in Academy? Because mm. I know C9A is really the must-watch of Academy as well. When you look at those streams, they end up getting like eight and ten thousand viewers because they just want to see it. Um but already we've seen uh like Udir from Blabber yep. and Karthus from Blabber. So right now it seems that it's just the malice picks porting to blabber, but I don't know if it'll be the other way around. That's just like a fun little thing. We can move on to, to Dignitas, who we have at, at three and one. And yeah, we were talking about this earlier and I realize in my notes, I haven't looked it up and I'm wondering if you have, what is it about early season Dignitas that makes them good? Let's look at the past <laughs> couple years. I want to look at the past couple years, but uh, I'm wondering if you've done that already.
1: I haven't, I think. I like, I I will say this. I have more confidence in this Dignitas roster to sustain themselves towards Mm -hmm. the top. I think eventually they'll be kind of outpaced by like Team Liquid, C9, you know, like the teams that we kind of expect to be there at the top. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they're going to get so massively outpaced that suddenly they're going to have this like incredible streak of losses either. And comparing them to like last year's Dignitas team, right? Mm-hmm. Where it was Who like started
0: six and three and then fell yep. off in summer.
1: Um really weird uh unique picks from Dardock uh week after week, and then really not great neutral setups and some not great laning into mm-hmm. phenomenal team fights, Like that team for whatever reason, and I talked to them about it several times, and they could never say exactly how they worked together so well in mm. team fights. So it was just like, they would just, like, press their buttons, and all of a sudden, the team would be communicating <laughs> well through, like, fighting. And that is how they won some of those games. So I think this Dignitas team, when I look at the fundamentals of the game, mm-hmm. is a lot stronger in that regard which means i do think it will be more difficult for teams to outpace them i can still see where they would outpace them based on their strength and strengths and weaknesses Mm -hmm. of the team right now Mm -hmm. however i don't think it's as i mean i don't want to say gimmicky but like i don't think it's as like circumstantial as it was at least with last year's dignitas yeah
0: what's interesting to me about last year's dignitas comparing them to this year's dignitas even though they're largely different teams um aside from like fake god in the top lane and neo as ad carry everything else has changed like dardoch was so key in their stage wins because he'd either bring Mm -hmm. out this weird champion pick or this like creative quirky early jungle path that would net a big early game advantage and then when people talk about river they also say he probably ganks more than any other jungler in the lcs but it almost feels like the structure with which they play the early game and then more so the structure with which they play the mid and late game. Like the second one is what I think is different with this Dignitas team but the the early game is remarkably similar in terms of like how the jungler almost over or does something creative to give them an advantage.
1: Yeah, I think River is a lot more focused on the lanes to the detriment of himself where Dardock wasn't nearly as much um mm. so that would be the counterpoint i would say sure. in that regard yeah. but uh i definitely think that this team overall just based on their jungle to link communication just seems to have much a better understanding of just the actual fundamentals of the game and like how to do some of these things so even if they are not not necessarily having like a perfect setup around the neutral objective, mm-hmm. they're they're able to like fix it and take it in the moment, or they're able to react, or they're able to um, like. There was this team fight that Braz pointed out where, or several actually successive team fights where Dignitas were collapsed really well on some mm-hmm. bad uh, Drake setups from CLG that were smart. So I do think there is a little bit more thought in their setups that is better for a longer a <laughs> longer term, uh, you know, sustaining yourself for a long term, especially when <laughs> LCS is like so wide open right now.
0: Yeah. With the five teams that are at three and one, I, I did the digging just now about early season Dignitas. It is true, Ooh. but it's only true in spring. Okay. They're really, really bad in the last two years in summer. So they were six and three to start spring 2020, but then they were something like two and seven to start summer. We just didn't notice because this record's carried over. So even if they're really bad, they like showed up as 15 and 15 uh, or something.
1: Yeah. And
0: then spring of 2020, they were still pretty good relative to expectations. I, I believe they were five and four, but they started summer like 0 and eight. So, it's definitely been an early season uh, in like early year run into summer being a disaster. they're They're probably hoping to break that curse. Uh, I also wanted to give a quick shout out to Biofrost, actually, so far. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a hundred percent bought in. And I didn't say this earlier on the year because it's like kind of worthless to like pile on or be mean. I kind of thought he was washed. Like I just thought he was going to come in and they were signing him for like maybe the brand or the the experience or something. But he's come in like played to his strengths and actually looked really good. And I I wanted to like even though I didn't make the statement, I wanted to say I was wrong about that at first. So he's done. He's impressed (laughs) me so far, which is nice.
1: Shout out to Bioforest.
0: Yeah, FlyQuest three and one. But, <laughs> but I think they probably have the biggest like three and one like asterisks because uh, of their strength of schedule. Which uh, wanna, I want to I want to pull it up one more time just so I don't get it wrong. It was the easiest strength of schedule in the league until they played against TL, which is when they lost. Mm. Um, it was TL, obviously, and then they played against. TSM, which was like the biggest stomp, and we'll get to TSM at the end of the video, they beat Golden Guardians in a close game. And then their first game was COG. So they played against 0-4, 0-4. At the time, 0-1, but I think Golden Guardians is like a sleeper good team. And then, mm-hmm. then they lost to TL. So what are your what are your expanded thoughts on on FlyQuest?
1: So I'll say in going standard against TSM, I was like, okay, the fact that that game was so not close at all, mm-hmm. despite the fact that TSM are kind of a dumpster fire right now <laughs> that we're going to talk about later, <laughs> uh, I, that actually really stood out to me just because TSM have good players, right? Like The, mm-hmm. the problem, in my opinion, is not that TSM don't have talent on their roster Mm -hmm. and one thing that we were kind of talking about with FlyQuest is like is this strategy something that they're using to cover up what they think might be like laning weaknesses right Mm. however against TSM you know they capitalized on TSM mistakes and just kind of like rolled over them and I thought even though yes it's against one of the worst teams in the league that spoke really well to again, FlyQuest's coordination um, as a team, I still think we're going to see a dip in their results uh, Mm -hmm. because I do think it's gonna be difficult for them to stand up to the better teams in the LCS. However, as someone who really was down on them going into the split based Mm -hmm. on their lock-in performance, They've performed a lot better than I expected, even with like the caveat that they misexecuted the smite top strategy, uh, especially in their game against Golden Guardians. I would say.
0: Yeah, it'll be really, I'm really, really interested in watching them play against Dig, which is the second game of the week. It's the first game for both of them, because the winner of that will like temporarily be at four one. Um, but it's also going to be extremely testing for FlyQuest because I can also see a world, like they're three and one now, but to close out the first round Robin, it goes Dignitas, 100 Thieves. And then for those of you who don't know, week four is like a super week. So there's three games and we'll be at our halfway point. They then play EG Immortals, who's not the worst, and C9. So like... If, so you're, tough, if you're if yeah. you're just going by who's the favorite and say you say Dignitas would be stronger, do you think Immortals is worse? That would be like four and five. Um, there's a very bad scenario where they go on a like what would end up being a six game losing streak if they lose all five of those. So just hugely testing once they start playing the better teams for them. So I, I really can't make a conclusion about this team whatsoever. I I, I did want to add to your uh, your laning versus team fighting point though. Um, the team is very coordinated. And I don't want to, I don't want to fault them for that because I think there's a general conception sometimes that if you have the like raw ingredient, which is strong laning, then like, oh yeah, you will just add the coordination in team fighting. Like I, I, it doesn't work like that. Like they're both really hard muscles to build. So it's, you know, props to them for having the coordination so far. Agree. Team liquid. I think we're seeing core JJ, right?
1: Yes. Right. Uh, Green
0: card tweet from Dodo that you mentioned. Core still hasn't said anything. I, I feel like I want to see a bigger announcement. Uh, I'm I'm so happy for him to be back. I'll do my core JJ like gush session after, but I, I think it's important we talk about <laughs> uh, Ayla first, who you, who you mentioned.
1: Yeah. So like. I remember uh, going back to last year and talking about when Jenkins came in for Alfari, and we were looking at the stats for Jenkins, and we were like, if if we didn't have to compare him to Alfari's spring performance, we would just be saying like, this guy is a straight up good top laner. Like he's performing really, mm-hmm. really well mm-hmm. in the TL system. Like obviously you can feel how you want about Jenkins thus far because CLG have had a rocky start. I think he's just a better player than people gave him credit for, and I also think that the TL staff did a good job of setting him up for success. And we see this in in Ayla as well. Like, I think Ayla was someone that I didn't really know how well he would perform mm-hmm. uh, on TL, especially substituting in for someone that... like. It's really hard to describe how famous Core JJ is as an LCS player outside yeah. of the LCS. Like, I remember yeah. talking to, you know, uh, you talk to, like, even players in other regions, and they'll talk about how good Core is, like, as a player. The reason why this roster is this, like, super team lineup is even together is because Core JJ is on it, and people just want to play with him that much. So when you are comparing yourself to that, <laughs> obviously, it's a very high bar. Um, so, you know, like in that regard, in only that regard, Ayla is not set up for success. But the team did such a good job of, A, just making sure he was on picks that he was really comfortable with, which is something I previously credited TL for when Bradley came in as well for that one game. And he performed really well like not just like oh this is a stopgap you know like Mm -hmm. like we're we're limping along like dragging his carcass (laughs) like no that's not at all what happened (laughs) so it was an amazing showing for him i hope that it gets more eyes on him as a player because i think he performed very admirably in what was or what could have been a really really tough situation if tl hadn't performed well
0: i I agree and it's matter of framing so if we framed this as uh let's just say because this is not a reality anymore but it was probably something that was in play like oh core jj is retiring from pro play temporarily because he has to do his two years of mandatory korean military service which the green card um, is allowing him to continue to play in the lcs but let's just say like six months ago that was announced And it's like, okay, TL is starting their search for a new support. And you have a video with like Dodo and Steve saying, actually, this old OPL MVP, Ayla, is our starting support. And we believe in it and we will find success. And then his very first game, he plays Thresh and makes this ridiculous lock-in highlight play where he lands multiple hooks and has the perfect lanterns. And then they start three and one and they have good team fighting and he has good landing with Han Sama people would legitimately kind of be freaking out. And they'd say like, holy crap, this young talent Ayla is doing mm-hmm. really well. But what ends up happening, and I'm not saying people have been dunking on Ayla and saying he's not good, but like the best you will hear of it is like, oh yeah, he did a good job filling in. Rather mm-hmm. than saying like, no, he just did a damn good job. <laughs> uh, and that's that's kind of what I wanted to add to him. But something kind of to, to reflect on this a little bit, something that might've helped TL look better replacing core JJ who is an irreplaceable player is the fact that it was kind of a new roster in the first place, you know? Mm-hmm. So Bwipo and Bjergsen and Santorin can still find their own style without core JJ, because I can, I can just think back to, you know, the 14 months that I was coaching TL and core JJ would have been like completely irreplaceable. There were definitely mm-hmm. moments where he was driving so much for the team. Um, but I think the fact that they almost started without him might have made it easier to look good without him, which will then, my like hot take actually, is <laughs> core JJ isn't just going to come in and turn them into the Avengers. Like they're going to have, I think, some issues making it all work now that this other really influential player has joined the squad. What do you, what do you think of that? Yeah.
1: That's interesting. I mean, I think, so we've only had, like, one game of footage. Um, But Mm -hmm. the thing that most interested me, actually, despite the fact that it wasn't, like, perfect, was that their 2v2 laning was so aggressive. Like, it was (laughs) actually so, like, you could argue maybe too aggressive. But, like, I love watching bot lanes like that, so... That made me really happy, and it, what, it was something that we kind of saw with people would always talk about, like, tacticals, willingness to go in, um, and now that 2v2 mm-hmm. bot lane fighting, like, the the initial level 1 to level 2 contest for the wave push is even more important now post-TP changes, mm-hmm. and the fact that people are just fighting 2v2 in the bot lane a lot more often... Makes me super excited to see how aggressive they will be because bot lane is something that actually in the LCS is like pretty stacked across the board, mm. like maybe unexpectedly so. Like, I feel like mm. people went into the uh into LCS after this offseason, they were like, man, jungle is just
0: poof. so like, good, you know? Yeah,
1: it's really, really, really good. Uh, but I would. Encourage people to look at some of our some of the bot lanes that they might not have thought of because uh I think bot lane two v twos have been really interesting thus far.
0: Here's a good transition. TL plays against E.G. on the first day. Woo! E.G. is two and two. And you mentioned in the article like they were an incredibly hyped team, undefeated in lock-in all the way until the finals. But since then they've gone zero three and have started two and two. So where are you at on assessing EG after two weeks of LCS and a whole lock-in tournament?
1: So I still think EG are really good. Uh, okay. I think it's going to be... It's it's another matter of framing, because they've had... And actually, Immortals have had an identical schedule, and we'll talk about it again with Immortals, but like through week three, when they play each other on day oh. two, I believe... They've okay. had an exact identical schedule, okay. and so um, it hasn't. It's interesting to me that it hasn't. It has been brought up with Immortals, where people are like, "Immortals are better than you think," because they're facing a ton of really tough teams right off the bat. Similarly to how people are like, "Well, FlyQuest are probably a little worse than you think," because not only did they run the Smite top strategy, uh, the Smite support top strategy, but then they also are facing the weaker teams in the league. Mm -hmm. But with EG, no one has mentioned their strength, their strength of schedule, Um, which has been, it's been pretty strong. So I still think that EG are a very strong team. I definitely don't think that they are, you know, the, the best team. Like I think right now the best performing teams are TL and C9. And Mm. They're slightly below that, and mm. actually talking to Vulcan uh, off camera, he he said something similar where it's like you were still really good, yeah. But these two teams are performing better. Um, did, he, did he
0: mention hundred thieves at all? Or is that probably forget, like, honestly, where I'm they're... trying
1: to remember?
0: Yeah, it's it's fine. Um, it's fine if not because it's it's an interesting point of like where their ceiling may or may not be because there is so much hype and expectation that danny and jojo are going to continue ascending and like surely the the ceiling of this team is going to be would you still agree that like the ceiling of this team could be first
1: yes and i also like so i like calling out jojo specifically just because i think he's a really easy bridge to talk about like and i'm not going to get too far into this because this is like a whole other conversation whole another episode he's a very Yeah, exactly. I could talk about this for a while. He's a very easy bridge to talk about League of Legends in North America as a whole and like Mm. who is coming up the pipeline. And like, if you are a young kid who is playing League of Legends, um, you're not actually likely to play League of Legends. Like, if you have really strong, talented hands, you're going to be playing something uh, on a console probably. And the fact that he ended up choosing league of legends as a profession is something is will forever be very interesting to me because most people don't. Right. Um, because of a whole bunch of factors, easy access, the fact that us is, you know, has all of these socioeconomic factors involved, the fact that we're just like massively a console, a uh, country instead of a PC country, uh, like a, just a ton mm-hmm. a ton of stuff that mm-hmm. I don't have time to get into. But I like calling out JoJo for that reason because I do think he's incredibly mechanically talented. Yep. Even with that last uh, pick, a collie that uh, I personally failed. did not like in draft, and I know we talked about it together uh-huh. um, on and off the desk. Uh, I think that, you know it is he was still having some like really insane mechanical moments and team fights i think you see similar from danny who's another person who just Mm -hmm. chose to play league of legends Mm -hmm. when he has the hands to play other stuff so that to me automatically makes this like a super interesting team and that's without even mentioning like inspired and vulcan and how good they are and, and obviously impact so i mean i i still love the dynamic of this team i still think they're going to be a really formidable and interesting team, mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted to talk about the the framing and expectations yeah. because I do think it's funny how like weirdly low people are on them now.
0: Right, it's almost overcorrected. You think because it was yes. I thought it was way too high um, personally. Like I I put the, I know you don't do power rankings anymore. You're just you've like banned power rankings.
1: Put it in the contract. You yeah, know? no, I'm just kidding. I, had, <laughs> I don't actually have that in my contract, but I should have. Yeah, I had. I it. think
0: I put them. Shoot, I want to make sure I get this right. I think I put them third in my preseason power rankings. That was like right after they just lost the finals. And it was like a hot take that 100 Thieves would be above them. But now it's almost like people are looking at them as like a fifth-ish, sixth. Like they're technically in sixth uh, in the mm-hmm. LCS right now. Where my eyes are going to be drawn. And I'm like, fingers crossed that this that this becomes true. Um, not because I hate EG, but because I think it's an epic matchup. I hope they lose to TL to be 2-3. and three. I hope Immortals beats TSM to be two and three and we get the zoomers versus boomers game to decide who gets to be three and three and who gets to be two and four between Immortals and EG on day two, because I asked for this to be in broadcast, but I want to bring it up on the podcast. First, the combined age of Jojo and Danny, the mid and 80 carry is 35. The combined age of power of evil and wild turtle is 15 years more. It's 50 or 24 and 26. It is the biggest disparity of your like backline damage that we have in the LCS. And I just want to see that battle each other (laughs) because everyone will have their opinion of like, those are the roles that like shouldn't be old, so to speak. Um, But if Immortals beats them, I think that would be like a victory for the, for the more experienced guys.
1: (laughs) Do you want a fun anecdote? I remember when, people were going on Weibo and comparing the ages of all of the LPL teams. And then they'd be like, oh no, our AD carry is 19. We need to find, (laughs) like, we need to find a new one. Like they're already too old. And I remember reading this and being like, holy crap.
0: 19, they were saying is too old.
1: I think it was like, yeah, I think it was like half a joke, but that is actually what people were doing is like comparing the ages of, yeah. So.
0: Wow. That's, I mean, when
1: you have so much talent coming up that's, I mean it's true uh,
0: it's true it's like the, uh, the you've already seen the 17 year olds for two years you haven't seen the new 17 yeah. year old at all maybe he's better what's in the mystery box <laughs> it could be another mystery box um, okay that's that, let's talk about golden guardians uh,
1: yeah
0: I, I, I liked your stat I actually found exactly the same stats so I'm glad you put it in here who holds the largest yeah. average goal lead in the lCS of 15 minutes were you surprised
1: hey. It can't be a surprise because Golden Guardians have to be in the header, but (laughs) because that's the way we write 10 thoughts. But um, I was surprised a little bit only because I was shaky on... I knew they had a really strong early gold going into last week, Mm -hmm. but then I was not sure how the two games they had affected that, especially the TSM one where there was just... um, you know that just absolutely disastrous level one where Spica just got so far ahead of Pride Stalker until they then botched their their bot lane push Mm -hmm. um I wasn't sure how that would factor in like how big of a deficit that was but they're still in first so they're still chugging along uh and and they have the strongest uh Average gold lead at 15 minutes of any LCS team. And Dignitas are second to that, yeah. actually, to back up something we were talking about earlier. Um, but yeah, like this team is really good at getting early advantages. They're actually pretty smart about it. And then their mid to late game is highly questionable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just say. I know that some. People are calling it like the worst game ever. Like, oh my god, what did my eyes see? <laughs> I are, and I, I actually argued with Mark about this, yeah, which is previously. TSM Golden
0: Guardians. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but I actually thought Golden Guardians' response to TSM was really smart at times. Uh, obviously, not contesting the level one that was not advised mm-hmm. uh, into the rel. Uh, they should have just split map. But um, the way that they decided to swap Aphelios top and the way that they kind of sussed out how they wanted to play against a smite top, uh, a smite support top, showed that they had thought about what happened when they previously faced this strategy and mm-hmm. actually almost beat it, like narrowly lost mm-hmm. um, through contesting it and also some of you know FlyQuest's mistakes in, in execution. So, I, and that's like what I want to see, right? Like, like sure, you can go through that game and you can point out so many mistakes, right? Like there are so many mistakes in that game that both teams make. It's, it's insane. However, when you have so many teams playing so many different strategies, I get really excited when I see something like this because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that shows me that even if you're not executing on this, like to the best of your ability, there's obviously thought behind... If we see this again, what are we going to do with it? Mm-hmm. And how do we use our strengths? Like, for example, how well or, or how well Pride Stalker can play Zed, and how well he performs on that pick. Like, how do we use our strengths and then execute on on countering this? And I saw that in the, in that game, so I really wanted to call it out uh, because I think it's really easy to focus on all of the execution errors, of which there were many in that game. Again, by both teams. Uh, but it's not as easy to showcase some of the bright spots in a game like that, especially when they go so long. So I want to call it out.
0: Yeah. And uh, I also want to call out, if you've watched the episode with Spawn, he did this as well, but like the Golden Guardians coaching staff is possibly the most robust coaching staff that exists in the LCS. They have like multiple coaches who are challenger players still. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I know... Choo-Choo's, one of their assistant coaches for mid, um, and Spooks, their assistant coach for jungle as well. say as their assistant coach for AD carry. Like, those are really, really high-level solo queue players. and, and it, it does... is still
1: playing in academy. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, been, he's been subbing for Violet this entire time.
0: Yeah, it, it makes me actually a little more bold on, uh, on their ability to take games off of higher-level teams. I will caveat a little bit their gold lead, Might have to do with the fact that they've played against smite top twice Um, it definitely contributes to them having the most turret plate takes of any team because it ends up in map split Um, but it's still up to interpretation on whether or not the smite strategy is like bad early game or contributes to being good early game but generally if you have someone like not up top and the other top laner is going to like farm plates and gold early maybe that helps them but it'll, it'll balance out as we continue the season and it it's definitely a really good stat to track. But you called me out in your article about Immortals where you say somewhere I in did. the analyst desk, yeah, Jax talking about how they're not the worst team.
1: I really just wanted to bring up how like, I wonder if people see us on the analyst desk like we're not real people and we just never leave the <laughs> analyst desk. Just like you never thought your teachers left school. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because you've been saying this since, lock-in, right? The yeah. Immortals are not the worst team. Please stop calling them the worst team. And I think the visible weight I could see like, lift off of the player's shoulders when they mm. got their first win was just very nice to see because there is no reason for a team with this amount of like experience and talent on it to be performing as, as poorly as they were. And mm-hmm. They had, as we've brought up on the desk, but I reiterate in this article, they, along with EG, have had the toughest strength of schedule uh, because they've had the same schedule and then they play each other. So um, it's, it's something that's worth calling out, right? Because, again, in a league where you have so many teams trying so many different strategies and then on top of that, you have to face the top teams who are all trying out these strategies that's a that's a really tough ask Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and the the criticism i'd levy at this team is that i haven't seen much of their own strategy or what i think there would be their strategy outside of like scaling for um late game team fights that might be
0: (laughs) that might be the strategy but yeah I, i agree I, I agree with that. And I, I want to add that it was weird to me in lock how their decision-making seemed so bad. Because if a team with this mm. much experience had consistently bad decision-making, that's when I get really worried. But it has improved a little bit in recent weeks. Um, I want to maybe combine the CLG and TSM conversations a little bit. Um, but we will start with CLG because uh, in lock and Tournament, I think there was definitely this sense of optimism when they mm-hmm. had some nice, impressive wins through Palafox's Twisted Fate, which you mentioned in the article. And then they even took a game off of Cloud9 in the bracket stage. But since then, uh, it's been rough. What do you think is is going on with them?
1: So when... Uh, and And this isn't like one-to-one comparison because all of these players have had some sort of LCS uh experience mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of Luger, I believe. He's the only Correct. one. Poon got a few had games of Hundred Thieves.
0: Contracts yeah, even Pum. went to worlds with Cloud9 back in like twenty sixteen. Palafox, FlyQuest, Jenkins, yeah. TL.
1: So it's like a very weird group of players who have all had experience in other orgs or like limited LCS experience within uh, another system Mm -hmm. and then are now all on the same team. And again, like we saw glimpses of understanding of like, we have this composition, this is how we need to play it out. I think you could even see that in that Diana Yasuo comp that they had, despite the fact that it got messed up really early and they had to uh, adjust quickly with it um it's sad to see them be so directionless and i don't know if it's just because again there are all of these other players coming from different systems that had really strong voices on their teams and really strong staff behind them mm. you know if we think about like the hundred Thea system the eg system uh and then previously c9 um The TL system, I already talked about how how Jenkins was really set up well um, by that, in my opinion. And I look at these players and I just feel like the team is very directionless right now. Um, And additionally, like, contracts is someone that I really just wanted to see succeed because I've been watching him for so long. I was like one of his first ever LCS interviews uh, when he... Stepped onto C9 as their starter. I he's someone that I've always wanted to see. Well, seeing him come back to the LCS last year with EG and splitting time was amazing. It's obviously like mm-hmm. a very emotional moment for him, and he just looks like he feels like he needs to force plays or he's behind the play. Um, and he's not farming as efficiently as he needs to on some of these picks, and it's just really sad because it feels like on top of. Like if there if there was one person who I think you wanted to look at and be like okay who is going to be like the main leader with the most experience on this team I would have pointed to contracts and I think he himself even said like mm-hmm. this is what I want to do this season this is where I want to improve I really mm-hmm. want to step up in a leadership role and it hasn't worked out so that it just makes me really sad yeah you know like because I know what what he's capable of as a player
0: yeah I I think they are either putting a ton of pressure on themselves or a lot of pressure is being put on them. And this might be a parallel across CLG and TSM. And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but there was that pause in one of the CLG games. And I know the player cam like full screened in on contracts and it looked like he almost, he just looked kind of clammy, like there was this cold sweat and just the, the look on his face to me looked like he was just really stressed and nervous in the moment. And that's not the look I want of like the leading jungler on the team. And that's me reading into like the body language, because as you mentioned, the play has also looked pretty bad. Um, but it like, listen, CLG was ninth or 10th in both splits of 2020. They were ninth or tenth in both splits of 2021. Across the last two years, they've been numerically the very worst team in the LCS. They fire sold basically everything, um, rebuilt all of this. And even though it can be a fresh start with a sense of optimism, like there's gotta be a lot of pressure to like not be the worst. So when they open mm-hmm. up at 0-4, that's just like really tough to overcome. And I I don't know like what the solution for that can be. It's almost like they just need a really strong like morale guy somewhere within yeah. the team or within the, the players. Cause uh, we'll get to TSM in a bit and have the conversation about what a development roster looks like. Um, I had the belief last year that close to five teams in Academy could be competitive, if not better than five of the teams in the LCS. I thought it was that big. Like I thought there was that much talent mm. in Academy Compared to what was in the LCS and one of the examples of this was like when FlyQuest just like randomly subbed in five people and they went 3-0 and I think one of the actual like big differences in whether or not these players can succeed or fail is like how much support is offered to them both internally and externally because there's no way that these players are capable of actually filtering out Reddit and Twitter It's just too big a part of everyone's life Um And I felt like there was such low expectations for the FlyQuest Academy guys when they came in. They could come in with no pressure. But for this Mm -hmm. CLG team, it's like everyone has been saying that this is the CLG rebuild and that they're going to do really well. And as soon as they fall short of those expectations, it like crushes them. Um, That's just an observation. I'm not sure what your thoughts are.
1: Well, I was going to say it it almost like in that in that regard, it's almost bad that they did have so many like flashes of of brilliance in the mm-hmm. first part of lock in, right? Because um, then people did start talking about having like higher expectations for them than than people initially thought, which is where in a lot of preseason rankings I saw them down towards the bottom um based on the lineup, mm-hmm. but. Another really interesting thing to talk about when, like, just because we're going to make the transition into talking about, like, talent development and what <laughs> is a development roster, you then have to look at this team and be like, how much time are we going to give them? Because I saw their problems as, like, different than than TSM, and my hot take was that I, I felt worse watching CLG than I did TSM because at least TSM had people, like, going in and trying to make like decisive plays. And then it was just miscoordinating them. Whereas CLG uh, uh, over their past week just looked like they lacked like any sort of direction, um, which was kind of sad to, sad to see. I also do want to call out that their Academy team is like doing super, super well actually True. right now. True. So uh, they're, they're like one of the best players. Uh, academy uh looking academy teams right now
0: okay let's uh let's transition to tsm because there is there's some breaking news on this actually i I want to just i just want to update people on on what the meltdown that's happening on the tsm subreddit right now so at 10 a.m on wednesday they announced that player comfort and adaptation are core values at tsm with this in mind, we've decided to substitute Yursan with Shenyi for the upcoming LCS Academy games. As a recent arrival, Shenyi requires more time to adjust to NA. He will benefit from the Academy League's environment whilst accumulating more game time at a more comfortable pace. So I read this. I personally think it's like a it's just an announcement. They're subbing him out, but they're trying to give a reason because they don't want to say what the real reason is. Um, but then they follow up with it. Um, their new VP Esports mentions in, I believe, a Discord. Um, Shenyi needs more time to adjust to NA and improve within the TSM team environment. We feel that him working with the academy team will help him adjust and settle. This will smooth out some chemistry issues, taking off some pressure from the current communication structure. To clarify, for the time being, Shenyi will be playing with our academy roster and son will be playing with our LCS roster. And academy rosters were locked today, so they had to make a public statement and that they'll do a better job communicating during for- going forward. Then... The part that I think is causing the meltdown is like Shenyi streamed and then someone translated it. So bear with me, take this with like a grain of salt. I don't know if the translation is completely accurate. I couldn't translate it myself, but they said from Shenyi's stream before the I'm sorry tweet, he said that NA has too little practice compared to LDL and LPL. Challenger Q wait queue is too long, and support is not really a role in solo queue. I will add that this is correct. The support is one of the hardest roles to get games for in Champions Queue, because for whatever reason all the supports want to play it and the other roles don't as much. Um, never in his career has he went on a four-game losing streak when the team is winning too too many people talk in the comms and when the team is losing no one talks. Um, from experience, that is a problem that a lot of teams have. Uh, he went to shock call this weekend and it will look different, or he wants to shock call this weekend and it will look different. And shock calling is his strength, but others didn't seem to trust him. And I see support role different from how LBL slash LPL sees it. So that's the news catch up. But Emily, what are your, your thoughts so far on on what's going on?
1: So I'll provide some context in terms of, um, I guess, what I think a lot of LPL teams see their their supports as just because it's something that's come up when we've talked about support champion pools where, It's not that someone like Mako, for example, who's one of the best supports in the world, it's not that he can't play enchanters. If anything, EDG are a team that will be much more willing to play enchanters because of the way they play around bot lane. But traditionally, the role of a support for a lot of LPL teams is always like the primary initiator and the initial go button. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's not even communicated. It's just the expectation that if someone is going in, the rest of the team is going to be following up because it's always better like to like, because as soon as you go in, right. If that person goes in alone, it's a losing play. If the rest of you follow, it still might be a losing play. It might be a worse losing play, but uh, there's a lot more chance of it to be a positive play actually. Yeah. And I know this is something that coaches discuss around their teams when you're trying, when also when you're trying to like, Bring a team back from being a little too aggressive, where you're trying to teach them how to choose maybe better engages together. Mm-hmm. Um, but the consensus is that it's always better to go in and and often, you know, LPL teams will just not like if, even if the rest of the world is is playing more Enchanter supports, they're playing more like straight up two v two bot lane mm. fights with mages. Mm. LPL supports like I remember for the first like I think it was two weeks I was looking on Gold GD GG and noticing that like LCK support pool had like Yumi at the top and like uh, a few other enchanters and then uh, LPL this isn't true anymore but just for the first few weeks it was like mm-hmm. our first week it was like LPL was still like Thresh Leona right Nautilus <laughs> Nautilus like they're never they're never changing because they see the support role as someone who is a primary initiator. And we saw this last year with TSM with Sword Art, where he would go in, he would be ahead of the play um, or ahead of where his team was, and the team would not follow up, and it would end up looking really bad for him because it just looks like he's out there on an island. We saw the same thing with uh, Shen Yi this past week when he was playing with TSM. He'd go Mm -hmm. in, there's a fundamental misunderstanding because the rest of the team is definitely not going in or they did not get Mm -hmm. the message that Mm -hmm. they're going in, and it works and it ends up looking really really visually bad right those are the plays where you you anyone who's watching can look at any level of league of legends that they play they don't even have to play league of legends yeah. they can look at that play. that's and be not like, good that is not a good play <laughs> yeah yeah so um i mean the big thing here is how much time is like too little or too much, right?
0: Exactly. That's 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 the big question. And I think it's because it's also been heavily positioned as a development roster. It'll be a question that I think applies to both CLG and TSM because both of them have said they're building for the long term. TSM is even more arguably like it's going to take longer because the players are even younger and have even less experience. So I guess first question. From what we've seen, which is only four games and two weeks of play, and what you know and have seen from Yursan, does this make sense to try something new?
1: Not unless it's like there's a massive communication issue internally that they Mm -hmm. feel like they can't fix. Because like it doesn't make sense, especially since this team didn't get... A lot of practice prior to like you know they didn't get a lot of practice together prior to the their lcs debut they did not pra- they did not get the same ramp up time in lock-in that i think i pointed out both tsm and c9 actually is two teams that really could have benefited from that mm-hmm. ramp up time because lock-in isn't the regular season so yeah it's a chance where you can you can try out stuff and if you are a new team and you're working through a lot of language and cultural barriers that it can help a great deal like even even if you're not for example we saw c9 last year improve visibly from their first game in lock-in to making the finals right Mm -hmm. and and even though they lost like you could visibly see like lock-in helped that team out a lot um I think this roster needed more time. I think if you're going to have a development roster, you do need to give them more time, but yep. TSM historically has not been an organization who is allowed for losses. True. And so, true. it doesn't surprise me that they're making this move despite saying that this is a this is a development lineup.
0: I, I guess that's true in the fact that it's actually not surprising, but it doesn't match up with what we've seen and what we've heard of a development roster for them. Um, I will I will devil's advocate a little at first. Um, we have only seen four games. Mm-hmm. TSM has seen probably closer to 100. Uh, if they were scrimming during lock-in, assuming they can do five scrims a day, five days a week, that's at least 50. And then the last two weeks have been another 40 scrims per week, at least if they're not doing night blocks. So they would have way more data than just four games. But to not devil's advocate, and now to kind of give my opinion, this is just too fast. Like, it's if you trusted your scouting on this guy, you got to give him more than two weeks before you try something else. Um, Mm -hmm. Even from just a confidence mental issue. Like, even if you think, like, Hell, if you need to give him more rep shot calling, let him play academy and LCS, right? Just let him have more stage games. Um, so uh, I feel like it is the pressures of the organization's expectations influencing the team decision to a greater extent than I think it should.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I don't, again, I don't know if, there, if communication has broken down internally That's just like that, you know that uh that bad of an atmosphere mm-hmm. that they had to move him like i mm-hmm. don't know but i do know that um i'm now curious to see how well he'll do in academy based on yeah. the fact that you would think that uh even with peter there he's probably not going to get the same amount of like infrastructure help like uh, moving to the u.s from china is a really massive cultural shift and Mm -hmm. not everyone deals with it well like i think um i will say with uh kai at the very least he seems to have like a very strong and outgoing personality where he you know uh just watching his stream he seems like someone who would maybe be able to acclimate a little bit better. And again, I'm making a lot of assumptions Mm -hmm, there, but mm -hmm, like someone who is a lot more outgoing and just a very like friendly person and, and more importantly, someone who's willing to make mistakes and make a lot of mistakes when they're speaking a language that they're not familiar with. Like it's actually one of the reasons why I don't always improve in languages as quickly as I could is because I get really afraid to speak it because I'm never going to be perfect. And that always enters my head. That's actually, will adversely affect your language proficiency significantly if you're trying to learn a new language mm. if you're not just willing to like throw it out there and be wrong um and he seems to have that uh, like a good attitude about that from what i've seen so right. i did want to call that out um but yeah i mean it just it just overall makes me really sad like i always dislike when things don't work out like ideally mm. i would mm. want to see all 10 lcs teams Always playing at their best, and then all we sure. have to talk about is, you know, like who is better than who and who is like executing better than who, right? Right. Um, that's never going to happen because players are people. And I, I guess, like, I would like people, a, as a final capper, I would like people to remember that. Like,
0: mm-hmm. that's hugely important, um, especially for the teams and the players that are at zero four. Um, I know even though it's a very interesting conversation, it's like a conversation that I want to have, like even us talking in extents about a 0-4 TSM and what may or may not be wrong within the team has a way of adding pressure to the team and making it worse. Like none of this actually helps them. So it is so hard for a team to pull themselves out of the bottom like that. Um, but we we kind of have to talk about it. It's it's the industry that that we live in. So we got to do it as, as kind of respectfully and as logically as we can. Uh, I guess the final question I'd have on like, we didn't answer the question like to you, what is a development roster? Like if you're, if you're just thinking of a development roster, um, how, what level of failure could or should prompt experimentation and change? So I
1: think it depends on what you're seeing as failure. So like Mm -hmm. if, like, let's say, uh, to return to CLG, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's say internally that CLG have some sort of internal metric where they feel like they are they are improving, um, like their individual players are improving. Um, I think this would have been maybe a lot easier to say at the end of lock-in, right? Like, so say at the end of lock-in, they're like, hey, you know, we didn't beat C9, but... Um, Look at all this good stuff that we learned. Like mm-hmm. and I think that's like a very good way of looking at development roster because if you are developing, you are not expected to be the best. You are looking at improve like typically taking pretty young players or like relatively inexperienced players and making them better as a five man unit and then also as individual players. And so then internally you set your own metrics and goals by like last week we sucked at this, but you know what this week were we actually like shored this up here, here, here and here. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and that is really good. So now we can take that information and use it to, you know, leverage that against some of our other opportunity areas here now that we have that down and we need to keep that in mind when we're thinking mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is, in my opinion, the, the most like constructive way to look at a development roster and try to set those expectations. I actually think a team that was pretty good at this was last year's Golden Guardians, even with the roster change they made, where they hmm. were really upfront from the get-go about like, you know, our parent work didn't give us a lot of money, were this is the roster we have. We fully believe in our coaching staff. We think we're better than people say we are. Um, and I think, based on the metrics that they set for themselves in terms of developing the talent they had, like Iconic was a much better player at the end of last year than at the beginning. Chime was a much better player at the end of last year than the beginning. You know, yeah. and they ended up surprising some people. And they and kept I think to blaze that's where... all
0: over across years. So they. And they yeah, got licorice, yeah. so they got two pieces of their upcoming split. And to add to that, they were 3-15 and 15 in spring, which is awful. And I think there's many, many people that would have said, like, get rid of Niles after, like, 10 games because he was performing atrociously. But they they tried it for a much longer time than is normal in esports. Then they did find what ended up being a better solution in licorice, and they went, you know, 11-17 and 17 in the summer. Uh, I, m- my take on this is... The time horizons right now is just laughably fast. Like, you can't develop in a month. Uh, nope. It's, it's like absolutely ridiculous, that expectation. Um, so, uh, you are you familiar with the, the process and the 76ers? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a favorite one. I've, as I've... as
1: a meme and and in all seriousness. Yeah. yeah. Did you
0: ever read like Sam Hinkie's like I called it the like NBA version of the Dunzo manifesto? Okay. You're you're actually super familiar on this, but uh I I want to tell I want to tell the viewers anyway and you can add in the <laughs> things that I've missed. Like the 76ers were like the most extreme development roster ever. Um, but their biggest thing was like accumulating assets in a unique way, but also they were just so awful. Like they set NBA losing streak records, they they no one came to their games. It's like a 20,000 person stadium, like 5,000 people showed up. Um but at the start of it, this guy called Sam Hinkie who was their GM, he might have been their president of basketball operations, but he was like, "No, this is going to be like a 5-year tank. Like we're going to suck for 5 years, but then then we can actually win a championship. We're never going to win a championship." if we uh, are average for five years, we'll never have a way of breaking through. And he actually ended up getting fired like before his plan could come to fruition. All he did is acquire assets. And they're like, we've got enough assets. Like, Start winning. And he was like, I told you what the start what the plan was. And they're like, all right, we're going to bring in Brian Colangelo. Um, so they just fired him and then they actually ended up being pretty good. They got a bunch of assets. You can argue about whether or not they managed them, but they're like, they're actually a really good team now. They're like one of the best teams in the Eastern conference. Anyway, the tangent there is like, that's the extreme example in pro sports. I think the less extreme example in pro sports that's become pretty acceptable now is like one or two years of sucking. Like mm-hmm. that's one or two years. And there's a draft. Like, there's draft assets that you're basically tanking for, but there's also a feeling of, like, let's give these other guys meaningful reps to win, and they set the expectation that, like, this team is not going to make the playoffs, and if they make the playoffs, it's a bonus. I think the problem that happens in LCS is the team isn't willing to admit the consequences of what development means. I look at this LCS season now, Emily, and I know that 100 Thieves... Cloud9, Team Liquid, EG, are all in win-now mode. That's Mm -hmm. already the top half of the league. So the instant you say development, the best you should hope for is sixth. But like, Immortals is also not developing. Golden Guardians also just brought in more veterans with Ole. They're not developing. So now your development roster, I think, is like, the more I think about it, 8th, ninth, or 10th. That's actually the crew you're playing in. And beating those teams means you're developing better than the other three. And, like, you're, the expectations are just so, so low. So the fact that they it almost feels like it's inconsistent after two weeks with that framing would be, like, ridiculously short time horizon for me. But that's... Again, a lot of assumptions, and who knows if there's something that happened internally, in which case this would be a wash.
1: It's also, um, it's really funny because everything in esports moves so much more quickly than traditional sports, Mm -hmm. which is another reason why I think we have a lot of over or under reactions, I guess Mm -hmm. is how I'd say it, but like... You know, your team loses like one game and suddenly everyone was like, everyone is like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, and and this isn't a new thing. It's happened since I started watching LCS and like, or when it started, mm-hmm. I was going to say back in 2012, but those were tournaments. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, like it's, I, I think it's another interesting nod to how quickly things move in esports and how little time players are are given a lot of the time
0: yeah part of it is the split is literally two months long like if you don't do well in two months okay you've just lost spring and that's like a benchmark that maybe the team is set um so the format definitely doesn't do development any favors but it's something you need to you need to consider going in do you have anything uh we've gone on for about an hour 10 do you have anything else you wanted to add on this before we wrap up no, that's it. Well, thank you, for, thank you for joining me, Emily. That was really fun. No, it was fun. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, I can talk about talent development for a while.
0: Yeah, I kind of think maybe this could have easily been a breakout episode, but it was topical. And I'm sure we'll have more refined takes as things go on and the story continues to develop. All right, 10 thoughts with Emily Rand. Uh, LOL Esports.com or her League of Emily Twitter, I'm sure she's going to retweet it or do something to help promote. Uh, thanks for joining me once again, and I'll see everybody next time.